Good morning, once again. We, uh, we've started a new series last week uh, when our own Ryan Jacobson uh, preached the sermon, and, and I, I didn't get to hear it. I wasn't here, and it, for some reason, is not online, so I haven't heard if he, uh, he kind of set it up or not. Uh, even if he did, he was more thinking about the Seattle Seahawks that evening than he was probably his sermon since he is from Seattle, and he was a little nerd. I don't know if you know this, but there was a football game last Sunday. Not really. Not if you're from Denver, right? Uh, so I don't know what he said, so I'm going to reset it up. What we're going to do over the next many weeks is, I kind of forecast this a while ago, and I think on the video announcement last week was that David Scott and I and some other people, from, and Robert from uh, Asbury are are getting together, and what we are doing is we're walking through what it, what it is that makes us who we are as a, as a congregation, all of us, as the different parts of this congregation that we are at Riverside, New Heights, Asbury, the Sanctuary, Common Worship, Pioneer, all the different uh, tentacles that we have in the kingdom. And, and what does it look like for us to do this? What is the most important thing? Ryan set it up last week is to, bring, is to join God in the bringing of the kingdom of heaven. When, when Jesus was here, he said, um, on earth as it is in heaven. Our, our goal was, is to enter into that movement of God's kingdom coming to earth. Is to enter into the renewal of all things is the language in New Heights that we use all the time. Is to, is to join God in what he is doing here right now to bring heaven. And over the next couple of weeks, seven weeks, Specifically, we are going to focus on these seven different kind of pillars, you could call them, these ideas of, of why we do what we do and, and how it shapes us into who we are as this part of the body of Christ. Now, today we're going to go along with what Ryan started last week in that we're joining God in the bringing of the kingdom of heaven. But how do you do that, really? What does that look like on a more tangible way? If you go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, I don't know if y'all remember the book of Matthew. It's been so long since we've been there. Um, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them still doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now in this, the Great Commission, as it is so called, we have our marching orders from Jesus. It's to go into the world and to make disciples. That's it. There's really not much else. Go into the world. Teach people about me. Share my love with them. Teach them the commands that I have given you. Love God and love others. And I'll be with you. I will always be with you. If you remember the very first part of Matthew in chapter one, it talks about Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us in the form of Emmanuel. Full circle, Matthew ends 
his gospel by reminding us that God is with us. For all the lessons in between and all the things that we have to do, he begins and he ends with reminding us that God is with us. And I think the reason he does that is because while the orders are simple, the carrying out of them isn't necessarily. If it were, the statistics of how many people believe in Jesus Christ and understand who their Lord and Savior truly are would be much greater than it is. The studies show that, um, as I heard David say this at 8.30 uh, service, that the George Barna, who's like one of the leader pollsters for the Christian world, um, that people have been lying to him for years uh, as they talk about their belief in God and their church attendance. Because as you go through those studies and you look at the reality of the facts, people are liars. They just, they don't add up. Really, when you get down to it, 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 it is 20% of people on any given Sunday in America will be in a house of worship. 20%. That's Christian or Judaism. If you go to teenagers, it's less than 1%. Less than 1% of our children aren't coming to hear the word of God, aren't invested in their faith on a regular basis. Less than 1%. I mean, my kids aren't teenagers yet, but it kind of scares me. If you think about it, remember how old the disciples were? Teenagers. They were teenagers. They were the ones who changed the world. And yet we've set up this society in which less than 1% of the people who are supposed to change the world even come. Why is that? What have we, what have we done? What have we done wrong? Because clearly, we haven't been moving in the right direction. If, if we had been that statistic would not even exist. It would just be filled. Our places would be filled. For too long, we've been focused on big productions, stadium events. Let's get as many people into a room as possible and just shout at them about Jesus and then go, now get out. And you kick him out. Go into the world. You know, I kind of think of it like this. If you have a a big field and you want to plant some crops, now one way to go about doing it is to just go through and just throw a bunch of seeds out and then to leave it and to go, well, I've cast the seed out there. You're on your own, crops. Make it or don't. And you come back a little bit later and you check on your crops and there's a couple of things that are spouting, but mostly it's just dirt, weeds. If you really want to grow that crop, what do you do? You spend time there. You prepare the field. You plant the seeds. You water it. You nurture it. If you're really great, you sing lovely songs to it, right? So there'll be happy corn. But you spend time there. You don't just walk away. Ask anyone that's a farmer. It's not an easy job. It is every day of the week hours and hours and hours. At Christianity, for some reason, what we feel like is that we're able to just cast the seed out there and go, all right, we're going to come back later, see if any of you are believers and worth anything. The rest of you can just burn. 
Billy Graham doesn't really have a successor. When he passes on, his ministry is probably going to go away not too long after. He's a great man, a great speaker. But when he started his ministry, the statistics of how many people believe in Jesus has not gone up. It's gone down. And I'm not saying that he did a bad job. I'm saying that maybe the back end of things, that that nurturing, that watering, that sitting, that singing lovely songs to, was missed. If you, if you know his ministry, late in the later years, they started trying to adjust this and they started trying to get churches to walk with them in the local places that they would go to care for the people that would come in masses and droves to hear Billy speak. See, the problem is our mentality has been to, to fill a stadium full of people and if we just shout the words of God over them, if we just show them what the gospel message is, we believe that that is all it takes. sure God can move that way he's God but if you look at the examples we have from scripture that's not how they did it if you want to go back to Jesus Jesus didn't just walk around shouting I am God and then walking away he spent time with people specifically 12 really intensely with three Spent three years with him, every day, every night. He nurtured them, he watered them, he fed them, he sang lovely songs to them. So that when the time came for him to say, okay, now go. Go and teach people about what I've taught you. A, they knew very well what it was that he wanted them to do. Because for three years they lived it. But two, they were prepared. They were ready. They understood that when they go out into the world, it wasn't just about going and having some big worship service, which is great and awesome, but it was about setting up discipleship. It was about taking these relationships to a new level. The word make disciples in Greek is uh, matheteo. And that word, it's just one word, make disciples there that they use. And that word is this understanding that it's a really slow process. Making disciples isn't something that happens like that. Making disciples is an intense, intimate, face-to-face time that you spend with some person. That you pour into them, that you encourage them, that you support them, that you teach them, that you correct them when need be. But you lift them up to be all who God desires them to be. And as that relationship blossoms over time, then... You send that person out to do the same. Those of you who are parents, you're already doing this. You're already doing it. You have little bitty disciples and some of you really big stinky disciples, uh, you know, already in your home. These are the people that you love, you care You nurture, you water, you feed, you sing lovely songs to, and you hope that they understand who they are so that one day they can go out and do the same. The term absentee father, you know, not a good term, right? Because when you're a dad and, and somebody calls you an absentee dad, what does that mean? You're never there. 
You're just not there. You're not going to have the influence over your children if you're an absentee dad or an absentee mom. It doesn't work that way. All it does is create really resentment. Those dads and those moms that are there and hands-on and loving, supportive. That's the idea. That's the picture. Paul, later in his ministry, he, he used to, early on in his ministry, he would go about and he would travel and he would travel and he'd bring the word and then he would leave. But later on in his ministry, he would, he would camp out places and he would spend 18 months here, two, two years there. He would stay there and he would, he would shepherd people and he would nurture them and he would feed them and he would water them and he would sing lovely songs to them. Timothy was one of his great disciples that he took under his wing. He spent time with him. And he shaped him. If you go back to the Old Testament, Moses did this with Jacob. Elijah with Elisha. It is all throughout the text that these are the types of relationships that God wants. God doesn't want this fly-by-quick passing of something. It's intense. It's personal. So, if we're to join God in bringing the kingdom of heaven, we need to listen to the orders that Christ gave us to make disciples, to make disciples. The great, one of the great rabbis, I think it was Rabbi Akiba, said, if you, have, if you die and you have never been discipled, or you have never, and you have never discipled, then you have died a failure. If you have lived your life and you have never been discipled, and you have then never discipled someone else, then you haven't lived your life the way that God has wanted you. Now I may be saying this and some of you may be going, well, I don't, I don't know how to disciple someone. I don't know what that looks like or how to do it. Then maybe I would suggest that you've never been discipled. Because what a, what a rabbi, what a teacher, what a discipler does is, is to show that person, that student, that disciple, how to do it for other people. You encourage them, you support them, you lift them up. A great teacher is one who encourages the gifts and the strengths in a student and says, this is what you can do. And when they fail, you're like, hey, that's all right. We all fail. And you pick them back up. You say, but I still love you and I still support you and I still think you're going to be amazing. And you just continue to get underneath and push them up. And all that does is it empowers that student. It empowers that disciple to be who God wants them to be. And then it models for them what it looks like to do it for someone else. So a question I ask you is, A, are you being discipled? Do you find yourself in a relationship right now where if I said, hey, who's discipling you? Immediately a name pops in. Maybe, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's time that you start to think about that. And listen, here's the deal. The person who disciples you doesn't have to necessarily be older than you. Doesn't necessarily have to be more experienced. It helps. 
But that's not always the way it works. But if you don't find yourself in a position in which you are being discipled, ask God, who's that person? Who's that man? Who's that woman in my life that, that I can look to to help me be more of who you long for me to be? I, I can get there a lot through reading books and through going to church and Bible studies, and, and those are all great things and wonderful things, but but in truth, the most powerful thing is that one-on-one relationship with somebody who's been there, who's walked down that path and understands. If you don't find yourself in that place, find it. And then the second question I would ask is, are you discipling someone? Yeah, if I ask you, who's your disciple? And somebody immediately comes to mind, great. But if it doesn't, Maybe you're not ready for it, but if you are, ask God for who that person is. Who's that man, that woman, that that boy, that girl that you can take under your wing? Again, if you're a parent, no brainer. But maybe there's somebody else too. Somebody else that, that God is like, hey, that's your Timothy. Pour into them. Let them know my love so that they can become who I long for them to be. In the Methodist church, we have a great tradition and history of this. John Wesley was um, a a great writer. He was uh, a a great uh, speaker, a great preacher, as was evidenced by how many people would come and listen to his sermons. But the thing that was so great about him, because he wasn't the greatest writer or greatest preacher of his day, the thing that was so great about him was the fact that he poured more into people than just speaking from a stage. That he thought it so much more important that you be involved in in small groups of people sharing the the joys and concerns of your faith life. He, He thought it so important that means of grace is what he would call them. And one of these means of grace, ways that you would access the grace of God was through Christian counsel, was through discipleship. He thought it so important that if you wanted to come hear him preach, you couldn't unless you had been involved in one of those groups. He gave out little tickets. These little tickets that you would, uh, you would get at your, your group. And if you wanted to come hear him as the, you know, the, like the show, if you will, if you wanted to come here, you had to show that you had been involved in a discipleship relationship. It was important to him because he knew what it would take to help bring the kingdom of heaven. One of his great quotes is, Give me a hundred people who fear sin and desire God and we will shake the gates of hell and bring the kingdom of heaven. That sounds like it should be from the Alamo, right? I mean, it's totally one of those quotes way before the Alamo, but how awesome is that? I love that quote. Give me a hundred people who fear sin and desire God and we will bring the kingdom of heaven. People who understand it's not just scattering seeds on a field and walking away. It is intense and powerful work to shake the gates of hell and bring the kingdom of heaven. 
David said that quote at the 830 service and reminded me of it, and I wrote it down, and I asked myself, am, am I one of those hundred? Like, like if John Wesley walked in here right now, he'd be like this tall, but if he walked in here right now, he's a very short man. It's okay, though. And apparently he was not attractive either. But he was a great, you know, he's fat. He, we're, we, we love John Wesley, J-Dub. If J-Dub walked in here right now and he said, give me 100 people, I wonder how many of us would be like Jerry Maguire moment. I am with you. Over the next seven weeks, what we're going to talk about is, uh, are these seven types of, of things that are going to drive us more into being those type of 100. We're going to talk about different ways that we interact with God that are going to shape us more into the sons and daughters he longs for us to be. And so maybe right now you're not ready to say, I'm one of those hundred, Michael. Let's go. Let's shake us some gates. There's one, 99 to go. (laughs) But maybe, maybe as we enter into these relationships of discipling and being discipled, maybe as we begin to learn what it means to worship and what our identity as sons and daughters truly is. Maybe as we begin to interact with God on different levels in different ways, maybe, maybe in seven weeks and eight weeks and nine weeks when we finish this series, maybe by the time Easter rolls around, when I ask for 100 people, I get 200. And it won't be because we're gonna go run out and scatter seeds everywhere, but we're gonna dig in. And we're going to say, this part of the world, where that under 1% statistic exists, is no longer acceptable. That doesn't happen in our community. This community knows who they are. And we're not mules. We're not Brahmas. We're sons and daughters of God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you've given us. We thank you, God, that you have given us examples through your text of how we are to live our life for you. You gave us this great command to go into the world and to make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey all that you have commanded us. All that you've commanded us to love you and to love one another. It seems so simple, God, yet so often we just don't do it. Father, put people in our lives who can disciple us, who can teach us what it means to follow those words, to obey those commands. Shape us more into the sons and the daughters you long for us to be. And as we become more who you want us to be, may we take other people under our wing and share your love with them. May we step into this world, not for ourselves, but for the kingdom of heaven. God, we thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.